back. Mike, what do you think of the new intro? Dude, it's groovy, man. I'm really digging it. I love it. Even though I, I, I love me some Lil Wayne, but um, it gets gets the groove going on this beautiful Sunday afternoon, so I appreciate you having me back. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Pleasure having you. I'm um, Chris Patrick alongside Michael Benjamin. Uh, no Cody today. Um, he's missing in action, um, but he'll be back. He'll be back real soon. Well, good. It's hey. This is the first time it's just me and you here, so I'm excited to talk about you know what we saw uh, finally coming to an end with the sun season. I've been trying to avoid it like the plague. And <laughs> yeah. I mixed emotions all over the place, but uh, I think it's time. We've went through the grieving process, so uh, we're here and we'll share our feelings. Yeah. Hopefully I don't get too animated, but I don't know. Maybe that makes for a fun podcast. So let the emotions flow as they must. Um, I know. Yeah, exactly. This podcast could have gone any number of ways, depending on when we've done when we decided to do it in the past. Oh, what's it been now? Two weeks. Yeah, it, I know. <laughs> it feels like it's been forever. It feels like it was a month ago, but I swear it was just like two weeks ago. Yeah, I feel like we were texting each other in the third quarter of that game being like, OK, well, it's it seems like uh we might have to put together emergency podcast here because yeah. you know we've been doing our first sundays of the month uh for all three of us to come out here and talk about it and after the atrocity that was game seven uh we felt like we needed to talk about it as soon as we could but maybe it's better that we didn't do it right away yeah um it could have just been it could have been angry it would have been emotional it probably would have been more of a shit show than it, yeah than it will be today that depends on how but, much show prep we did yeah if you know what i mean but you know I, i'm gonna let you kind of get us rolling on the sh on the right track here but got plenty of things to say got plenty of emotions got plenty of opinions just like anybody who saw that sh that no show of a game from the Phoenix Suns, man, um, and and a really tough way for the season to end. But um, I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to finally, you know, pull back the curtain and let the people know how I feel about uh, the situation or what happened. So let's do it. Let's do it. So Mike, everybody listening, just sit back. Let's take a deep breath. We're going to get into it. Find your inner chi. We're going to get into it. This isn't the first time. Probably won't be the last time. Um, this is, if you're, if you're accustomed to Arizona sports, this is just the way it goes. This is just <laughs> the way it goes. It's so sad, right? At what time are we finally going to find ourselves on the other, you know, the other side of history? I guess if you want to say that. Um, for, first things first, I mean man watching that game um the first thing that kept coming back to my mind were those 2015 Arizona Cardinals um with Carson Palmer and David Johnson Larry Larry yeah. Fitzgerald having another stellar uh playoff run and going into that NFC championship game against the Carolina Panthers and absolutely shitting the bed Carson Palmer with five picks uh Patrick Peterson with a, a fumble on um uh, a punt return and just wondering man how can you not be prepared or how can you be so unprepared was it the lights were too bright um the jitters got in the way you can't get anything really rolling chemistry wise at that point but it's tough for 
you know, a team that had been gelling so well throughout the entire season, you know, moving to what we thought was going to basically be a guaranteed Western Conference Finals matchup against the Warriors, yeah. which I know that the country wanted to see. Absolutely. Um, and that's all I could think about. I mean, at halftime, it's 52 or, you know, 52-22 or whatever. When when Luca hit that step back on Cam Johnson, man, all of those emotions came flooding back when we were sitting in Cody and your guys' old house <laughs> wa- watching that Cardinals team fall apart in front of our very eyes. Um, and it was tough, man. It was really... It, it, you know, like I said, we've gone through the grieving stages. We've been mad. We've been upset. We've been sad. Um, but once again, Arizona sports finding a way to set historic um, precedence in the utmost yeah. worst fashion that you could yeah. possibly imagine. And uh, just when is it going to end, man? When is it going to end? That's what I was going to. That's thank you so much. I was going to say. We are making history the wrong way. We are making the, we are the franchise that has no championships. Um, like especially the Cardinals, they're the oldest franchise I think without a Super Bowl or on that list anyway. There's probably only a couple other teams. And it's like, when are we going to get our day? I think it's uh, it's great what you were saying about the Cardinals there because I think. And this is a. I have so many questions. There are so many questions to be posed here, and it's and it's not anything we'll necessarily have an answer to, but we're going to speculate on. And what I wanted to say is that that Cardinals team, if I remember correctly, one of the criticisms was and speculation on that was that they were reading too much of the press clippings that were talking them up. We're saying, oh yeah, this is going to be easy. So I wonder. Again, if that's another similar comparison to the Suns team, you have the best and the best record of any NBA team throughout the the season you set a franchise record for wins so now you're reading these press clippings you're kind of thinking it's going to be a cakewalk to the finals and then you're going to have then that's when you'll really start turning it on is when you get to the finals but like i said there's just so many questions and that game six game seven disaster uh, i i was i just want to rewind just pull it back a little bit and share with you guys you know mike i was in las vegas for for that game um, which I didn't want to be. I wanted them to win game six, or I wanted them to finish the series before that so I wouldn't even have to worry about it while I'm out of town. But I'm out of town, I'm in Vegas, and I'm like, con- like the day before I was a little unsure, but then the day of I was like, I need to support my team, I need to have full confidence, we got this. So I put on my Devin Booker jersey, and I'm going out to watch game seven. And uh, my fiance, I, went, I was with my fiance and her family, and I was with her dad at the blackjack table. And I'm like, hey, I, hey I'm going to go break off. I'm going to get a beer and I'm going to watch this part of the Suns game. And he's like, all right, I'm on a roll. I'm just going to stay here. I'm like, all right, you do you. Anyway. You uh, can't leave when you're on a heater. No, exactly. I, was, I wasn't I was doing so hot on the tables, um, and he was. So I, I left him to it. And I was like, I'm going to watch this game, see how it goes. But at that time, it was already a rough start because – it was, uh, what was it? Jay Crowder made the three-pointer, and then the Mavericks went on like some 18-0 run. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was some crazy shit mm. where it was just ugly. So by the time I sat down at the bar, I was already seeing the game getting sideways, and then it just got worse. And every time I thought the Suns were going to bite back a little bit, it just it was like one step forward, three steps back the whole, the whole first half. And that halftime, I, that's when we were, like you said, we were texting, and I, I knew it was done. Um, you didn't watch the whole game, did you? Game seven. <laughs> <laughs> call me a fair weather fan. Call me, 
you know, it's somebody who doesn't really support the team. Oh, dude, my dad and uh, my mom came over and watched the game with me and Bree, and uh, we had to turn it off uh, before halftime. Even your uh, dad was down to turn it off more I mean, than anyone. Oh, it was yeah, it was definitely my dad's call. But at that point, when you're going into halftime and it's a thirty point lead, you're just utterly demoralized. I had already had enough of Reggie Miller's bullshit throughout the entire oh, season the- <laughs> or throughout the entire series. Um, so I didn't want to hear more about it. And we saw kind of, you know, all that we needed to within that first half anyways. Um, I'm also, I'm also kind of a guy, you know, I, I've, <laughs> I've been around this team my entire life and I don't know if it's, I get big nerves even though I'm not playing in the game I don't like to start watching the games right I'll let the game begin Mm. and then I'll find myself turning on the TV partially through the first quarter maybe even the second quarter Um, but I'll keep the ESPN update like pulled up on my phone yeah and too many times throughout that series every time I would open up my phone for the first time to check the score it would be 15 to 5 or 15 to 8 where we're already kind of starting to sink into a hole you can see the trend that's and to come out so flat to start games consistently was always a red flag especially in those games in dallas for games three and four where both of them it seemed like every game when we when i turned uh that scoring app on we're already down by eight within the first three four minutes of the game right so then you're consistently finding yourself just trying to claw back to get back within the game and obviously nobody wants to start like that but that sets a precedence and it's you know and we saw what happened from there yeah yeah no that's exactly a great point i mean what what we need to really break down here and what i want to talk about is what's the what what is the reason for that why are these games getting sideways so fast and why are the suns getting blown out in a critical game seven that every player lives for um, and I think a lot of a lot of blame has been thrown around, and I think everybody on that team carries a little a, a little amount, some amount. It's it's not any one person's fault. I will say that I'm not personally. I don't think it's any one person's fault. You might disagree, so I'm not going to say it's obvious. But what I want to start with in breaking this down, because I the, the biggest people I'm going to assign blame to is um, Aiton, Monty Williams, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Mikel Bridges. Um, and then there's more blame to go around for guys like Jay Crowder. Um, M- Javel McGee got in foul trouble. He p- didn't play well throughout certain points in the series. And so it, just ignoring, like, Game 7 is one thing, but the whole series entirely. I was listening back to the last podcast we all did, me, you, and Cody, and we were talking about, break, we were looking at their roster and talking about, oh, well, you know, Bridges will lock down Doncic or at least be able to hold him a little bit. Booker will, of course, be able to, handle Brunson and you know you know the rest is just cake and then here we are now I'm feeling a little embarrassed but <laughs> I think all Suns fans are feeling a little embarrassed that's why I was, it wasn't I wasn't even like sad I went straight from sad to mad to embarrassed it was like a rain we all like you said we went through all the stages of grief and all the emotions but what, what do you feel like so that's why I want to say I'm sorry I'm getting kind of sidetracked here but Bridges Mikel Bridges let's start with Bridges how much blame does Mikel Bridges carry for not showing up to play defense against Doncic, Or do you think he did show up to play defense? And, and, I mean, part of it was scheme fit. Um, they, 
they tried to do a lot of switching and giving opportunities. You know, in those first two games, they basically said, hey, okay, Luca, you can go and get whatever you want. Um, we're going to lock down your wings and your outside shooters um, and let you score 40. But as long as your contributors aren't there with you, you yeah. know, it, it should be pretty easy, um, which was what we saw. But adjustments, man, adjustments. We talk about it, you know, even when we coached. You oh, know, yeah. From even quarter to quarter, you have to see what's going on on the floor, how spacing is happening, who might have a hot hand, and who you have to clue into. Yeah. It seemed like the Suns were on that high horse where they're going to ride or die by their way no matter what happens. Um, do I place some blame on Mikhail Bridges? I think I do to a certain extent. I don't know how much on the defensive end I would um, because there were just some games in this series where the Mavs shot lights out from outside. Right. Um, and and some of the other things that I've been hearing too is like, you, you know, the, the age old saying, you can't trade threes for two or twos for threes, right? Well, you also can't trade getting outshot by 20 times from outside yeah you know those opportunities you make a couple more of those buckets comparative to the suns not shooting as much you know that adds up and they expand those leads really fast like what we were seeing yeah um but you know yes you're the number one team in uh the nba for the entirety of the season you find a way to close every game you are consistent and team camaraderie is great. But at the same time, playoffs are a completely different animal. You're not going out and playing the Wizards on Tuesday night and then the Nets on Thursday yeah, and the uh, Sacramento Kings on Saturday night where you have specific game plans, game plans each night for each of those teams. Right. You know, your tendencies and your consistency is going to waver within a series, but it's who makes the better adjustments as the series goes on, who keys into those really true aspects that are going to, you know, take you over the take you over the top and get you those four wins within a seven game series. And the Suns, man, they struggled to do that. And I don't know if it was just because of ego or, you know, oh, we got guys going for all NBA team. We got the defensive runner up. We Yeah, got we got accolades out the ass. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I think I made I think I made note of that cuz yeah, it's um Chris Paul was um NBA third team. He was all defensive first team. Booker was all NBA first team. Bridges was all defense first team. Um yeah, you said Monty coach of the year. So yeah, accolades out the ass and the regular season best record in the NBA, but that doesn't mean shit. Nobody's going to remember that. Right. I mean, and teams clue into what you're doing. And if they make the proper adjustments and you don't, you see what happens. Yeah. That's that's what it, that's a great point. And that's what I'm I, I don't think a lot of people understand um, sports fans in general that maybe aren't basketball fans first is. When you look in the NFL or hockey, they have much larger rosters, especially the NFL. You're looking at a 50-man roster, 30 teams. That's that's a lot of fucking dudes. Um, granted, it's over a, a, a you know swath, a large swath of positions. But when you look at basketball, you're you're talking 14 guys on 32 teams. These are the best basketball players in the world, in the world. The NBA is the 
these are the best basketball players. So even the guy on the end of the bench that never sees the court is better than any player you've ever seen in your life or, mm-hmm. or played against in your life. And that's a generalization, obviously. I mean, obviously, you'd be an exception. You've played against a lot of people and seen a lot of people. And like any, you go to any NBA game, but you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. It's just tough. And there's obviously other factors that might go into it, like possibly CP3 being hurt or, you know, Devin's hamstring still kind of hampering him and, and so on and so forth. But you can't make excuses to that, man. No. You have to adjust to those situations. Right. And I think I think that's what I'm saying is you, it's it comes down to the basketball IQ at that point because these guys are all ballers. They're all bona fide you know, good players like they're in the NBA for a reason. Even Abdul Nader, I've hated on that guy, but he plays in the NBA for a reason. Um, and there's a, a variety of reasons, and there's other things that I don't even fully understand or would be able to speak on, um, factoring into how you get into the NBA. But that's a whole nother conversation. The fact of the matter is, and what I think you're trying to get at, and I agree, is that the NBA playoffs are a whole nother animal from the NBA regular season, and you have to be able to make those adjustments because it's four to seven games against the exact same team and they're going to be making adjustments to you and you got to adjust to their adjustments and we just didn't see that with the Suns. it felt like they were just ramming into a brick wall over and over again expecting the same result right i mean what we saw from the mavs those first two games luca went luca went crazy and got his numbers but his other guys were still kind of struggling uh, I know game one, Maxi Kleber went crazy. Yeah, Kleber went crazy. My goodness. But he made it more of a precedence to, I mean, Luca's such a, a, a transcendent player himself where he's going to get his. Yeah. But he started thinking, okay, let me get my guys going early. Let me make sure that Jalen Brunson gets to his spots on the low block to abuse Chris Paul or any lower guards and get him to his spot eight to ten feet around the rim. Yeah. Let me get my shooters going early. Let me get Reggie Bullock some touches. Let me get Kleber going. Let me get uh, uh, Bertans yeah. firing. Even, yeah, all those guys. And then by the time that... Not household names all, by any means. Right. By the time that all of those people are firing, then you have the guys like a Spencer Dinwiddie step up in Game 7, go for 20-plus, and it's a freaking boat race before you even know it because... Everybody else is rolling and has made their adjustments are and the part of the so game stretched. plan. Yeah. And then you get that added cherry on top, basically. You know, right. and, and we're over here still wondering, well, can we put campaign on the floor right now? Because he can't hit a freaking running jumper at all. He's one track minded. He can't see the floor. He's not spacing yeah. at all. He's just attacking the rim and throwing up anything he can. Yeah. You know, I one guy that I'll give praise to, which I didn't in the first series, Jay Crowder. I thought he might have been the best player, He'd, at least from an offensive standpoint, mm-hmm. in this he series. Got it, he got it together a bit. He for was sure. the most consistent. But adjustments, man. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep freaking prying at it, man. This is all it is when it comes down to the NBA playoffs. It's what you see on a night to night basis and adjusting because you're playing the same opponent. You yeah. have to attack different ways if you get things shut down. Mm-hmm. They kind of knew that, you know, the last four games of the series, Chris Paul wasn't really going to be that big of a presence on the offensive end. For what reasons? We don't know. You can say Might injury. You can say whatever the hell. It just seems like a cop out if they say injury. But I mean, if it's an injury, it's an injury. Right. But but so what do they do? They start saying, okay, Devin Booker, we're going to send the doubles at you early and often. Yep. 
If we you know want, Devin Booker doesn't like those doubles. <laughs> if you want to go get in your bag and go get you your 35, you're going to have to fucking work for it. But everybody else is going to have to contribute if you want to win. Yeah. And most guys weren't ready to show up. I mean, Mikhail Bridges, 31 points in game five. We, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Where are you the last two games? Where are you on a consistent basis? Mikael yep. Bridges is now in this, has been in this league for long enough where he needs to be a 15-point average scorer. Yeah. I can't have we're nights. Him. It's, we're going back to the last time I was, I was on this mic talking about <laughs> it. We can't have the Jay Crowder one for sevens. I can't nope. have six points and five rebounds from Mikael Bridges on ever. No. I need to have 15 and eight. Every single night, night in, night out. I know he guards the most prolific scores on each team. He expends a lot of in, uh, a lot of uh, his energy and is probably exhausted all the time on the defensive end. Sure, but within this series, at the same time, they weren't even putting him on Luca. You know three quarters court and he wasn't expending all that injury on one guy or all all of that energy on one guy right so where are you on the offensive end put, putting your guys over the top um and it's just you know that's what happened man the bench didn't show up yeah your other guys weren't there da we're gonna get into him Oof. plenty today we are gonna get into da how, for sure how do we not have scripted plays for him at least a dozen times within the game. And that's that's a great transition because that's what I really – coach. he did win coach of the year, but Monty Williams, dude, you he left so many timeouts on the table. And I'm not saying you have to use all your timeouts in a game. I'm not saying that dictates who won or lost or did whatever. But I, I even said it on – there's a lot of things that I went back and listened to on the podcast when we got together, and that was another one of my criticisms is Monty leaves a lot of timeouts on the table. He lets momentum carry for the other team is – a little too far. He trusts in guys a little longer than he should. And another thing I said is I was praising the Suns' depth overall as a team. Because like you say, you should be able to make the adjustment where if you have a guy like Booker, he can shoot off the catch, he can shoot off the dribble. Dynamic scorer. If he's getting those double teams, you should be able to get a dynamic center like Aiton. Aiton's supposed to be a top five center. He's commanding top five center money. He better start fucking playing like a top five center. Truth. Like look like I like you said we're gonna get into it but what was the, what were those numbers um, if we sign Aiton um, I think I have it here um, the five it's the five year max uh, you have it right here don't you yeah so with Da he's a restricted free agent this year um, the most that anybody either than the Suns could offer would be four years, 131 mil. Whereas the Suns can go five years and almost 180 mil. And if you're going to stick to your guns like that, yeah. Uh, um, when I see five years, 180 mil, that's uh, 25 and 12, right? That's a, yeah. You that's have 20, to be getting, yeah. 25, 12 and three blocks a fucking night. You're the brother. second highest paid player on the team. You better put up the second most points and the most rebounds at your position. Because you're the fucking center. You're the... And he doesn't play... And that's that's what... It makes it so hard to justify for the Suns because knowing knowing how this goes, if we keep him, he'll be a dud. If we trade him somewhere else, he'll flourish somehow. And it'll be about a, a referendum on how the Suns can't develop their players. He'll end up being like six straight years, all NBA. Yeah. First, second team. 
he'll rattle off all-star uh continuous all-stars make pushes with whatever team he has deep into the playoff runs. right that's arizona sports for you but i could totally see that happening 100 percent. we can go back to the coaching uh, aspect as well like yeah no please yeah yeah let's wind that back monty you know with everything that happened at the end of the game as well when there was that little tiff that people were reporting um where da might have said something to monty and he basically came back and said well what did you say um maybe possible reports that there was kind of a tear showing within the locker room itself between da uh, mm-hmm. and the coaching staff and the team going forward and you know it's all hearsay we don't really know absolutely i'll trust Lil wayne though he was on the floor right he's the one who's like that. right by him right right by their bench pretty close <laughs> he's the one who actually heard it um I, I mean i'll trust him for right now but you know that guy has had a lot of lean uh going through his yeah lips, but yeah he was probably feeling good that's on the beside, court, on the that's beside the point if if chris paul is hurt and obviously cannot contribute like he did um in the first round you know taking over in fourth quarters and what did they say what was what was the possible injury was it a, a leg something was with his leg because i think it was reported that he was limping out of the arena and I just think it's funny that like he was, you know, nothing, no, no reports of that throughout. And then as soon as you lose Game Seven, you're limping out of the arena, right? So if that's an internal thing, and you obviously see that it's hampering him, how are we not making adjustments to make the two man game go around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton right. a little bit more, right? Yeah. How are we not getting them into possibly more pick and roll situations to give Booker some more space? to go off the dribble and get his shots like he does or give DA a little bit more room to come off of those screens like he does he he's an agile big yeah he can he started to show that he can go off the dribble a little bit more but sometimes you know bigger centers like that who aren't ready to really impose their will they need a little bit movement to get to their spots and right. then kind of back their body into guys move them around a little bit then dump them the ball and get into that I mean, wh- where was that? Or did I miss it? Was it part of the game plan? Was it just kind of no? We're gonna ride or die by CP3 here. Hopefully he'll start the mid range and shots. the three point like, and the one on ones. That's apparently all the Suns were capable of mustering at at the end there, and it's it's sad. And that's what it's like. Why can't you adjust and say like that's not working? Like I'm saying, running into a brick wall. Why aren't we doing what you're saying? Feeding Aiton, letting him get deep. Because they, they didn't have an imposing center that could rival Aiton. He should have been able to take on any center on that roster. I mean, they played small the entire series. They didn't have another big, really. Exactly, to, yeah. So Aiton's not... with him at all. If he is saying what he's reported to have said, he's not wrong. He can't pass himself the ball. He can't make Devin Booker give him the ball. He can't make Chris Paul give him the ball. Um, what he can do is he can get himself in position and call for the ball, which, I mean, see that's the did, big, we, did we see that from Aiton ever? Th- see, that's a bigger difference, right? If you point the finger, you also have to be ready to point it back at you as well. Uh-huh. Are you working hard enough to get yourself in a good position to be trusted to dump that ball down there and then go to work, right? right. Are you working hard enough to put yourselves in those positions to be successful on the basketball court. Have you shown you can consistently capitalize on those opportunities? That too. But for bigs, man, positioning is, especially if you're going to be a, a traditional big 
like in the 90s, who plays back-to-the-back basketball. Yeah. It's all about positioning, man. It's not like Joel Embiid who can get the ball out on the top of the uh, of the wing, get the ball down into his spots, dribble a little bit more, then get into position down low. Right. You know, that's not part of DA's game yet. Yeah. It, will it ever thing. be? He's young, so there's there's a lot of question marks. I, I'd like to hope so. We'll, we'll have to see. But, you know, other things. Campaign... Is he did he show kind of his true colors of what he is as a player? Um, you know, this is a guy who was fighting to get back into the league. I know he was yeah. a first round pick with Oklahoma City, but he was out of the league and then got his opportunity in the bubble, took advantage of that, mm-hmm. and then had an incredible season last year he in did. a stellar playoff run. But was it just a flash in the pan? But was it a fluke? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to not think so. You know, everybody goes through stre- stretches where they struggle. Yeah. Obviously, at the worst possible <laughs> moment for that to happen. But adjustments, man. If he's not working, how are you not putting Aaron Holiday in for those little spurts that they were giving him? They were giving him eight minutes a game. Well, how see, do you yeah. not try? It seems I, like they didn't trust him at all. I didn't see Aaron Holiday in the playoffs, at least until it was already out of question and out of sight. But... It was just confusing. And these, you know, these NBA playoffs as well have been confusing. The yes, amount of blowout, blowout games every single night, it seems like, it, it, it's just, it's, it doesn't make sense. Is it because guys are just throwing in the towel and being like, okay, this one's not really leaning our way. We're not going to really, you know go too crazy and try and make a comeback yeah, pull the this Warriors out. gave up an ugly one to the Grizzlies and they were like laughing and dancing at the end of the game like they didn't give a shit I don't know man I would think that an NBA championship team would never get blown out by 40 points like that's, that that's how I but that's, that's just me maybe that's just old conventional thinking it, right I don't think that that would ever happen um, but it's consistently happened in these playoffs yeah. I mean, we finally got a decent game in game 6 uh, for the Heat and Celtics but it's you know Man, if you want your product to be competitive, right. what's going on? It's How are weird. we getting down to crucial games and it's not going down into crunch time where teams are making, you know, the proper movements, putting people into proper, you know, successful opportunities and games being close down the stretch. I mean, it can't just be because guys aren't hitting shots. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You look at the game 7 the Suns played against the Mavericks. And it wasn't just that they weren't hitting shots. They weren't playing defense. They looked completely lost the whole night, disinterested. It, it, it almost seems like they didn't even show up. And and just and just not hitting shots doesn't even tell the story. Um, and like you said, that's across the whole league. But just talking about Game 7 in particular, that was brutal. Utterly lifeless is the only thing that really comes to mind. I mean... At home, man, this is when you got to have the juice flowing and it's got to be going oh, before yeah. the game even tips off to come out. And, and we already talked about how some of these games, you know, we're already in an eight point hole within two, three minutes to start. I mean, the same thing that we saw and it snowballed, but <laughs> we already talked about um, Arizona sports finding a way to set historical <laughs> marks. And Always. of course, that game set. Um, one of the worst Game 7 performances of all time, 123-90. to 90. Um, 
I'm pretty sure they had the largest deficit in Game 7 NBA history for playoffs. My goodness. Um, I, I have a, a, a pretty funny stat here. Um, there is only two other teams that have lost a Game 7 by 30-plus points. Um, the St. Louis Bombers. Oh, um, in the 1948 BAA semifinals, which was the Basketball Association of America. So not even the NBA. So not even the NBA. Nice. And who was the other team that lost by 30-plus points, Chris? Um, the other team was the Boston Celtics. No, it was... The 1970 Phoenix Suns, oh, 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 who lost to the Los Angeles Lakers oh, in the Western Division semifinals, 129 to 97 in 1970. That's but this poetic. was a team that set a record for worst deficit at halftime. So the game's over at home. Before halftime begins. Yeah. Yeah, like we said, we were texting each other at halftime and we knew it was over. And looking at the box score right now in front of me, ten Suns mustered only 10 points to the Mavericks 30 in the second period. And that's not even to you know forget that Luka Doncic had the same amount of points as the entire yeah. Suns team at halftime. He had 27. 27. So did the Suns. I mean, man. I th- that is sad. I, I, 27 points and a half. I it's so hard to really fathom what happened um and really try and pinpoint things but to just be dead on arrival like that yeah. is uh, oh it's you know I I thought I thought I would be better and in a better headspace now that we've already had kind of about 2 weeks since this uh it might be more than that but when you think about yeah, it, two, I just two weeks. Uh, how how in the biggest game of your season, how do you not come out with any kind of energy and any kind of freaking gumption to fight, really? And that's what blows my mind is is you go from hero to zero real quick. You were coming off the best season probably most of those guys have ever had. Uh, chemistry was out the ass. You had, you had all all these headlines about you and how uh, you're basically the expectation is you're going to run the slate and get to the finals and uh, put up a good fight against whoever it may be the Bucks, the Heat, the uh, you know whoever it might be. But and we were even projecting beyond. Like we were like, oh, thank God we're beyond the Pelican series because now. The Mavs, we can clean this up in five or six games. Maybe Luka will steal one because he tries hard. But this team, we know this team. We know what they're capable of. But we didn't see that team. We didn't see that team at all. And like from Mikel's failures to Aiton's failures, um, Monty maybe not making the adjustments or coaching these guys as much as he should have. Um, Was Booker still, uh, you know, lingering hamstring injury? Was Chris Paul nursing an injury? But it's like, that's that was the fear when we signed Chris Paul, right? Is that his durability was that going to be a factor? And what do you think that it's like? Do you think a bigger concern is the durability of these guys, or do you think the bigger concern is the lack of adjustments and like I'd hate to say it, but camaraderie because the ISO ball just became a fallback that they fell back to way too often, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a great question, and 
it's something that definitely is hindsight 2020 now that you put yourself out of the playoff picture, right? Sure. You know, once you get through one series, you, you might see some of the flaws that came with it, but your mentality really has to be, okay, where are we at now? So we're focused on the Mavericks. But we were seeing some of those foundational cracks in that first series against the Pelicans. Oh, yeah. You know, the... Um, the bench not really having as much of a presence as they did within um, the regular season, really having to fight, dig deep so hard and rely just on Chris Paul to get some of those games in the New Orleans Pelican series yeah, to yeah. the point where they probably felt like they were going to be able to rely on him when it came down to the Mavs series. Oh, yeah. But he was a no-show and who knows kind of what happened in regards to that, but... You know, you sit back now and we can talk about Game 7s and I guess the only thing that I could say about Game 7 is we set NBA history. Good for us. Yeah. You know, We're another, in the record one, books. another one for the record book. Okay. But now I'm done, man. I'm done with it. You shit the bed. You possibly have the worst the worst possible showing in a Game 7 of all time. Oh, easily. But now, where do you go? What are the next steps? I think that's I think that's a great question. That's exactly what we have to look at. Um, we have to put it behind us, you know, for good, bad, or indifferent. We just got to look at everything in front of us going into next season. And there's a lot of questions on the table, and it's going to be very interesting to see what James Jones and Robert Sarver decide to do with this team. There's a lot of money that is up for grabs. There's a lot of money that these players want. Um, like Mike was saying, the DeAndre Ayton deal, if it was a five-year deal, it would pay him virtually, I think, $35 million a year average over the lifespan. And he's commanding 30 plus a year in his, in his free agent market. Um it, it, does that does that fit into the scheme? Because I think we have Monty signed as a coach pretty long-term. Um, I think he's going to be our guy. So if he's the coaching style, we're going to stick with. And um, that's another thing. Booker, I don't know if you saw that, but since he made the the All-NBA team, he's now eligible for a four-year $211 million extension this season, which that's an average of $52.75 million a year. That's a shit ton of money. Ooh-wee. And, and how old is he? Twenty-five. He's 25, right? Oh, something like that. I'll pull it up. I feel like I saw something the other day on Twitter where they basically said, you know, with his with his continuous growth and the player that he's become and the probable All-NBA appearances that he'll have, the continued success as a player, the accolades that he'll continue to start getting more of yeah. as he grows and became becomes more of a fixture for the NBA, he's probably going to make half a million dollars in contract earnings alone. Oh yeah. By the time that it's all said and done. And to think about that just from probably two uh what is it called? Supermax deals? Mm-hmm. Dude, that's wild. You're saying like half a billion dollars? Oh sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Not half a million. Yeah, oh he's my said, God, yeah, I'd love no, to get half, half a million. Half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars. Yeah. And that's that's what's so crazy. And I just think it's important to know, and I'm not saying this is a apt comparison, but you look at how a deal like this to like the Wizards made with John Wall 
can cripple a team because John Wall got injured fast and deteriorated fast, where he's a guy in his early 30s that's already in a role player position, like De- very much like Derrick Rose, former superstar, you know, MVP candidate. I don't know. I think John Wall might have been in that conversation at some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was he was he did a lot of he he carried the Wizards through the mud. I mean, they didn't really make a run. The East was really weak at that point in time. They didn't have much around him. That's a different conversation. But my point is that giving that much money to one player really limits what you can do with the team around him. Unless you're willing to spend the money for the luxury tax, which you can only do for so long. So I think an important question I think I'll pose to you is how if our championship window is still open, how long do you think it'll be open for? It, it, that's really tough because it, it, there's so many what ifs, right? That come with that. Oh yeah. You know, when does Kawhi get back? What kind of team are the Clippers next year? You know, what do the Lakers do when they start kind of rebuilding their team once LeBron kind of goes? I, I I'd say LeBron probably has maybe two three years left. Sure. But he's not going to be the same type of player that he is now. But who knows? I mean, good lord, say. the guy's 37 and he's still. Um, a continuous all-star caliber player. Oh, yeah. Vince Carter played till he was like 41. I mean, dude, we're, st- we're still only two years removed from the Golden State Warriors having a top three pick. And now they're already back within the... They're already in the NBA Finals once again. That's you wild. just do not know. The West is that good. Yeah. Um, so it really all depends on how the dominoes fall with that. But... I'd still say that the championship window is probably still open for the next two, three years. You know, your core is still very young. You have good role players that obviously have to kind of find their niche when it comes down to playoff time and make sure that they're there and stepping up when they need to. Um, You know, you're not the best team in the NBA and set franchise records for no reason for most wins of all time. It, it, it's really about, you know, who's going to take the next step. I mean, Chris Paul is 37 years old, man. He can't be a top two option anymore. No, no, he, we can't put that wear and tear on him if we expect him to show up and be available in the playoffs. Because the last two seasons, he's shown that he can't be play a full season and the playoffs because he's always hurt or exhausted at the end of the season. A hundred percent. The sad truth behind that is his injuries have really led to the downfall of these teams down the stretch um, in playoff series because he's their focal point. I mean, you can't be where you are without Chris Paul. I understand that. But we also know that we can't get any further or up over that mountain with him being a number one, number two guy. Yeah. You know, father time is undefeated, as they always say, right? Absolutely. It, and it sucks that injuries come about and can, you know, degrade somebody to the point where they become almost non-existent of the player that we've seen for, you know, an entire six months. But that's just how it goes. But that's also what we know, right? Yeah. This isn't just opinion. This is fact at this point. Yeah. His injuries have he hasn't been able to sustain for long periods of time. I mean, this season he missed 20 plus games because of his finger injury. You Thank know? You. Mm-hmm. So and I remember when they were talking about 
you know, the rumblings, okay, who are untradeable pieces for the team this year? And they're saying it's Chris Paul, it's Devin Booker, and it's Mikhail Bridges. Everybody else is expendable. My top three is it's Devin Booker, it's Mikhail Bridges, and it's DeAndre Ayton because it's about the youth. It's about what you don't know yet from these guys, but they've been able to play on that level of championship basketball and contribute. DeAndre Ayton is what, 23 years old? Yeah, he's a young blood. He still has plenty to learn, especially in the big man game. Oh, yeah, right, without a doubt. And we're going to dive into him a little bit deeper here. But, you know, we talk about future. We talk about what are the options now? Where do you go moving forward? And you got to... If you're going to start thinking about a max contract for Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, uh, I would do it. And the the easiest one is the super max deal for Devin Booker. I know you talk about John Wall and, and his situations, but yeah, you know we went through 10 years of dog shit with this team. And <laughs> Devin Booker was pretty much there through all of it and continued to get better. That's and has true. been a face for this franchise. Yeah. So you reward that. And you especially reward a guy like that who wants to be here. And we he, haven't had that in a long time. Exactly. In a long time. He wants to be the face yeah. of this franchise. Good point. And he's an all-NBA player and is, is going to get better as well, even though he's already on season seven or season eight. So he's yeah. he's a veteran at this point, which is crazy to say when he's 25 years old. Literally. Um but you got to get another you got to get another score who can go get buckets by themselves spread the floor um for that number 2 option or you force it to be DeAndre Ayton and you start building the game plan around him, around him a little bit more and kind of restructure what you have as a team yeah which is okay but it's what you have to do now because Chris Paul is heading into the twilight and i can't i can't trust him anymore down the stretch DeAndre it's just Ayton. fact chris paul chris paul oh no yeah no chris I, I can't, paul can't. you can't trust him no and i think the, i think you're right i think the suns should probably lean more towards a youth movement and the guys that are under 30 years old um hard as that is to say approaching 30 but it's it's so true that if you look at or i, I shouldn't say it's so true but what i'm i'm trying to say here is that when you look at the scheme and what the the theme is around the NBA it seems to be going more outside in Mm -hmm. versus inside out so do you need to pay a guy like DeAndre in 160 million or do you look for another like you said second or third option that's a a two or a three that can also score maybe even a four a stretch four like Kevin Durant but like you said we're gonna dive don't do that don't do that to me Chris don't do Do that do do we do the Durant question now Or do we don't tease get it me, now? And don't we get, get me excited and tease me like that. Okay, so I don't know if you guys know this, but in everyone has wild speculation about what the Suns are going to do this offseason. Sign and trade Aiton, sign Aiton long-term, um, just let Aiton walk. Um, is Aiton going to sign the qualifying offer for $16.4 million for one year and then become a unrestricted free agent next season? Who's to say? But the hot gossip on the internet is... Um, 
and I'll, I'm going to pose this question to Mike, but a, a question to all of you. Would you trade DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson, oh, and maybe a first-round pick, for Kevin Durant? Mike? Uh, yeah, the answer is yes. You have to, right? Yes, you 100% You have would. to. Uh, he's a difference maker. I know we talk about injuries again, but... Kevin Durant is still a little bit on the younger side in comparison to CP3, but that's the type of guy that you put in. I mean, yeah, he beca- he becomes your 1B or your 2, or you have nights where him and Devin Booker are 1A and 1B, and they just switch off, right? So Chris they don't have Paul- to carry the whole brunt of the load. Exactly. Yeah. Chris Paul is still your serviceable guy who's going to get you your 12 points, 10 assists the night. He's going to lead the offense, get guys into their positions where they need to be. You still have, you know, comparable backups like JaVel McGee and Bismarck Biombo. But you almost basically play the game like you wanted to this year where everything in the Mavs series is on the block and you don't have to get the big involved as much anyways. And you're getting your guys their shots from the outside like they do. Um Oh my gosh! Would you start Javale McGee then? Because obviously, if you lose eight, and you have to start. Yeah, I would start Javale McGee, and that's what I think is that's a, if you look at how serviceable he was and how good him and Biombo did. Like Nate, Nate, how many teams are running a dominant center and paying them a lot of money? You got Joel Embiid, you got Rudy Gobert. Um, I think Bam Adebayo is probably going to command a lot of money. Um, but who else? I'm sure I'm forgetting. Oh, um, Jokic. Jokic. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but like he doesn't, he also plays a little outside. Like he can play mid range. He, he, I don't want to say he's a three point shooter. He can knock him down here and there, but he doesn't really lurk out there too much, but you're right. I guess he's on that list too, but is Aiton, when you put Aiton up against all those guys, is it, does it make sense to pay him like those guys? I, I just think at this point for how long, for how young he is, you would pay him the max because of what he can be or what he possibly can be. I'm I'm looking more so for the future, right? Yeah. And, you know, it could go either way. There's some guys who get enticed by the money and work harder the year before to make sure that they can get it. Mm. And then they kind of just coast and they're like, okay, well, I got my Big Macs deal and whatever comes along the next time is, is what I get. Yeah. But then there's other guys who will get it and then they take it to heart and we're like, I gotta, I gotta really put my head down and put my feet to the fire and and start really working to be a superstar yeah. and a legend that I I I want to be because I know I'm worth it. Mm-hmm. And he's a young guy that he's taken he's taken steps every year. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's he's a different type of athlete for for how big he is as well. Yeah. Um but man like it's different dude like the, the two guys that I really think about are Jokic and Joel Embiid mm-hmm. where they demand the ball. Yeah. They demand to get their touches and they make themselves an absolute presence um within uh, the floor and they can be on both they do it on both ends as well. Yeah. Um where DA is just not there yet, but both mm-hmm. of those guys are a little bit older. Um, but that's what I'm paying him for. I'm paying him to get there, right? Because I think exactly he, like I, I you think said. he can be that kind of player. Mm-hmm. Um, man, 
But you, you, if you start kind of thinking about, okay, if you're going to go down that road and you're going to pay him his his max, I don't want to go past the four years. I no. don't want to do the five-year 180. The full five-year, no. I want to do that four years 130. Because mm-hmm. when you get down towards the end, if it's not working out after the first year or two, that's more of an enticing contract to get off of your books and trade where yeah. you can get pieces back maybe expiring contracts to free up things but also uh, more teams will probably be more inclined to make a move at it because yeah. it's less time and they don't have to worry about mm-hmm. you know the 35 40 million that are on the books in 2027 um but you know it's the same thing that we saw when Chris Paul signed here is he brought along different players that are going to be kind of difference makers like a Jay Crowder, like a JaVel McGee. And now Devin Booker is becoming that kind of a player now where all we hear about is who's Kevin Durant's favorite guy to watch in the league. It's book. Cause yeah. you know, of his improved growth, the player that he's become mm-hmm. and the winner that he wants to be. He really can see that in a young kid and, probably wants to be around that i mean why wouldn't you be right yeah so as he grows if you trade deandre ayton and a cam johnson as much as i wouldn't love to lose that kind of a piece if you get a kevin durant back in return you're gonna have other guys that follow kind of similar to the way that other players follow lebron james true there's gonna be guys who want to be a part of that who will be difference makers and be able to step in you know, so you won't have to just worry about a JaVale McGee and Bismarck Biombo at your center position. You'll probably be able to get another serviceable center who's probably a little bit higher yeah. uh, than Bismarck Biombo, I would say. Maybe not JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee is still a very good um, piece to any kind of Without roster. Without a doubt, yeah. Um, so, man, yeah, I take... Kevin Durant in a heartbeat, but you'd yeah. be a dumbass to not. Well, exactly. But like, let's break that down a little bit more because I think I agree. Um, and I think we're on the same page where if you're the Suns, if you can pull off that Kevin Durant deal, that hypothetical deal, you do it. You pull the trigger um, and put a pin in that. And then the other the other edge of that is you would sign DeAndre into the max um, for at least four years, maybe the five years. But you would secure Aiton to either keep him and see what he does or keep him as a trade asset. Because some team is going to want him and potentially give you something in return, even if you're making a a short-term sacrifice. But going back to the pin we just put in getting Kevin Durant, um, a lot of people would say you are sacrificing the future for the present. Um, Kevin Durant, he's not old by any means in the NBA. Um, He's another guy that kind of can be hampered by injuries. But then you're giving up Cam Johnson, real young, I think late early 20s, uh, probably around the same age as Aiton. And Aiton's 23. So... What would you say about the the value of maybe having one or two years where the Suns could win a championship or two with a team like Chris Paul, Booker, and Durant? Would that be worth it to see the Valley get at least one championship versus the Suns giving up a com- potential key pieces in the future like Aiton and uh, Johnson? You're talking about a franchise that has never won a championship before this is kind of a silly question though. i will take any kind of opportunity to get you to the mountaintop there yeah the the tough realization i think that a lot of suns fans are coming are, are are really starting to see now is 
man, our real, real um, championship opportunities that we had were these past two years. When oh, you yeah. find yourself in the finals up by two uh, to the Bucks, mm-hmm. And when you have the run that you've had as a team, the gelling that you're supposed to have had for this year, setting yeah. franchise record with wins. It was basically the same team. It was like we were running it back. They called it the revenge tour. And the, and the opportunity to go up against the Warriors in a Western Conference Finals where I think it really would have been it would have been a fight, but if the Suns team is playing ha- as they were within the regular season, I don't see any chance that you're not in the finals again. And I like my chances against the Heat or the Celtics. 100%. So, at least the team we saw during the regular season I don't know about the team we saw during the Mavericks series. <laughs> right. So I wouldn't say that the championship opportunity is closed. And I know this is kind of going back to what your one of your other questions that you had. But the best chance, I feel, has kind of started to change, just mm-hmm. as the Western Conference has. So you have to start thinking about, okay, what other big piece can we bring in here and build around to continue the the window that we have because our core is still very young. I mean, I think about the Los Angeles Rams this last year. They felt like Matthew Stafford was that one piece that could really put him over the top. I know they made different, you know, changes like bringing in um, the guy from the Broncos. Help me, Chris. Vaughn Miller. Yeah. Yeah. Adding little pieces here and there, but their main focus was, hey, what's that one guy that can get him over the top? That's a Kevin Durant, man. That's a a wing, a scorer, a guy who can get you 25 plus a night and can be your 1A or 1B. And like I said before, their core is so young where if he were to come in and you trade a DeAndre Ayton and a Cam Johnson, I don't think you're setting yourself up for that much failure. You're going to have a digression by the time that it does end. Yeah. But... A championship looks pretty. And then you build basically off from there. You still have Devin Bookers. You still have um, a lockdown defender like Mikhail Bridges. We'll probably bring in other key pieces through free agency and people who want to play here because they know this is a winning franchise finally. Yeah, well, that almost surely secures Booker here, right? If he wins a championship here, now he's getting all these accolades, first-team All-NBA. He's a perennial All-Star. I expect if he keeps on pace, he'll be an All-Star every year for the rest of his career or most of it. Um, as long as he stays healthy, which he's, aside from a few nagging injuries here and there, he has shown a pretty good ability to stay healthy and be available. Um, As Cody would say, if he was here, availability is one of the best qualities in a player, um, which I absolutely agree with. I mean, um, even when, I mean, even playing injured, if it's going to affect your game is it can be detrimental to your team. And we may, we may or may not have seen that in game seven. I think, I think in a lot of ways, the optics of it, it can kind of look as a cop-out. And I don't want to get too much off track here, but I just think you need to put the best players in the best situation. And if that means getting rid of someone that may have a brighter future for someone who's ready to kill now and ready to win that championship now, you do it. Especially a franchise like us who's been been to the finals twice, three times? The Suns? The Suns. Yeah, three times. Three times. Yep. And failed all three times. It's time to get there the fourth time and 
and make it happen. Right. And I don't want to have to wait another fucking 25 Hell years no. like we've had to do. Hell no. I don't want to be an straight. old man. I'm already getting gray hairs. I don't want to be full silver by the time the Suns win a championship. <laughs> fuck that. Part of my language, but fuck that. <laughs> I'm 100% with you. Uh, uh, the time is still now. The iron is still hot. You got to make this kind of, you know, the sacrifices that are going to be tough, but that might really put you over the top. And I trust James Jones and he's, it felt like he made the right moves this off season. And even at the trade deadline, um, I'm very sad about what happened with Torrey Craig and his uh, performance since the trade deadline. I'm, I'm sad that Aaron holiday wasn't really trusted and given an opportunity. Um, I know he's another young guy, but, you know, we've already talked about that. If if one thing's not going your way, I don't know. Maybe try it. You know that Chris Paul's not getting it done or he's hurt or whatever. You know, flukes happen. Cam, campaign was the fluke last year. It happened. Maybe Aaron Holiday does the same thing. This overall talk about Kevin Durant, though, I don't make that trade for him if it includes getting rid of Mikhail Bridges because I no. think he's another guy that has steps that he can take to become a a really really incredible player in this league and a consistent guy on both ends of the floor. Right. You know, he's already second in um defensive player of the year voting and you know what he's going to give you on that end of the floor. Right. And he's a winner, you know. 100%. Two, oh yeah. Two national championships at Villanova. Um, that's the kind of guy that you need to have in your locker room because they know it. And I know obviously winning in the NBA is different than winning in college, but man, those, those type of guys, that mentality will transfer when you win at every level. I, I think I talked to you about this the other day too, when we were talking about game ending free throws and I uh, yep. and I talked about the Reggie Miller versus the Knicks thirty for thirty, and how Ahmad Rashad said, you know, there's a difference between um, those guys that say uh, three, two, one, and they're counting down, and when they shoot, it's like buzzer beater, mm-hmm. and it's like there's those guys where it's like you know it's not going in, and then there's <laughs> those guys that when they take it, you know it's going in, and they know when it's time for winning time. Yeah, Mikhail Bridges. I, I don't have to say that he's that shooter, right? But he's that guy when it's winning time. He's mm-hmm. been there. He's done that, um, and he's going to continue to get better. And he's a piece I can't get rid of to get back a Kevin Durant. Yeah, I can't do it. He's because he's shown. Obviously, you don't make. He was what first team All NBA or All Defense. Mm-hmm. So you don't make first team All de- All NBA defense by being a slouch. And he and he is like an Iron Man too. He hasn't missed a game. So that when I talk about durability, you want a guy like Mikel Bridges. So I agree with you absolutely. And maybe this might be the detriment of our podcast. We're just sitting here agreeing with each other all the time. But <laughs> um, no, absolutely. I mean, come on, Mikel Bridges is the man. He's freaking Mikhail Jail. He's the he's the dude that we trust on defense. And yeah. I can point to some shortcomings in the playoffs on the offensive end. Um, I can't really 
off the top of my head think of anything I saw specifically on defense, but I just can look at the numbers and see that the Suns were grossly outscored. And obviously that doesn't fall all on Mikhail Bridges, but when you're charged with guarding the best player on the other team and the best player on the other team is Luka Doncic, obviously that's a tough task. This guy's an all-star. This guy's a superstar. Like he is a champion. He won in the Euro League. And obviously the Euro League is not the NBA, but he's battle tested. He knows what it takes to win a championship. Um, just if like if if he had if you swap out Booker for Doncic um with those teams I don't know that's a diff- I don't want to go there I don't want to go there I don't want to go there um those are a whole lot of hypotheticals I have so that many, we could these drown are, in these are the exactly we we would just drown in these questions we would be running in circles with our heads cut off like crazy chickens um but no, I agree. Just looping it back in and coming full circle to, to what we were talking about. Mikhail Bridges is a young piece. 25. He's going to be 26 this year. He's an Iron Man, never misses a game. He's a good defender. He's. I expect he'll get better as he moves into his late 20s and early 30s. And we've got him locked up for at least, I think, another two, three years with the contract. Um, another three. Yeah. Another three. Yeah. Um, Cam Johnson, he looks very promising. I would hate to see him go. But if you're getting a guy like Kevin Durant, you got to do it. Yeah, there's going to be pieces that obviously you don't want to see leave that you're going to have to throw in. Of course, yeah. In order to get a superstar like that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, Mikhail Bridges, he does it on so many different facets. Uh, He's a guy that becomes... um, He's not expendable. You have to keep him around. Um, Whereas, say you're not going to go after Kevin Durant, but... Is DeAndre Ayton that second scorer? Is he going to be that guy that night in, night out brings it and gets you 20, 25 a night and is the guy that you can consistently count on? And we saw spurts of it this year, but if you bring in a Kevin Durant, that almost kind of makes DA a little bit more expendable because you're getting what you would need from DeAndre Ayton from Kevin Durant. I mean, shit, dude. You're probably getting the same kind of rebounding stats out of Kevin Durant than you that you would get out of DeAndre Ayton, right? Unfortunately, well, and that's I think that's the biggest thing for me with this whole thing is that if you're not going to DA, like you said, scoring 25 points a game, if you're not going to him on the as the offensive option, get him out of here. You can hire anybody that's seven foot one to grab rebounds for you and box out. And, you can get any motherfucker that's seven foot to do that for and, you and be a little bit of a defensive presence. Right. I mean, that's what been one of the other things. I mean, the man is a freak athlete for his size. He is, yeah. But he is, his no doubt. But his blocking numbers, I mean, that's another. I need two point five blocks a game. Hundred percent. You know, like you need to be a stud. If you're gonna be getting paid thirty five million a year as a center, you need to be a stud on defense. Yeah, two point five blocks a game, at least ten plus rebounds a game, and twenty plus points a game. Bare minimum. And it can't be that much to ask, right? Because if you want to get you $180 million, think. that's what that's worth, brother. You Preach. know what I'm saying? Preach. Like, my goodness, man. We're I, not asking yeah, for, we're not even asking for the world. We're asking for what that is worth. Yes. Because what that is worth is Joel Embiid. And what does Joel Embiid do on every given night? He scored 30 plus points. He averaged 30 plus points this exactly. year, Exactly. Right? 28, 28, 14, 2.2 blocks a game. I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me. Sue me. But I know that that <laughs> shit is pretty close to what that is. It sounds right. It you know? sounds right. Yeah. 
So they become expendable. Mikhail Bridges, I don't think is, is is expendable for what he does and how he affects the game. And you know he's he's known to show up in clutch games like Game Five. I just need the consistency to come along with it in his offensive game. And if if you have to give up Cam Johnson to get uh, Kevin Durant, dude, I I, I got to do it. Especially because Cam Johnson, we forget, he's a little bit older of a player too. I think he's older than uh, Devin Booker. And Devin's been in the league for four more years than he has. Five more years, maybe? Yeah, you're correct. Um, Cam Johnson is a year older. He's 26 already. Um, Yeah, because he stayed in college a little bit later, as did Mikael Bridges, didn't he? They both played their senior seasons, respectively. Uh, I don't know if Mikhail played his senior. I think Mikhail might have been his junior, junior year. Because he was at Villanova, and then yeah. Cam was at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm pretty sure Cam did one of those things where he started somewhere else, oh, played a couple yeah. of years, and then ended up in North Carolina and, and finished off graduating there. Well, and that's a great point. That's a great point, Mike. This is one of the selling points that... Um, when we got Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson and they were getting significant mi- minutes, the selling point was these guys in their college years were leaders and they knew how to, like Mikel Bridges, he got a championship at Villanova. Um, at least one, was it two? One. It was two. It was two. Yep. Yeah, it was fucking two. Yeah, so I mean, that's that was the selling point is these guys are already in their mid-20s. They already know what it's like to be battle-tested and go through tournaments and win championships. Um and I'm not going to put the blame on Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson. I think most of the blame we would agree goes to the best three, the quote unquote best three players: Booker, Paul, Ayton, and then of course Monty Williams carries some of the blame. But like like we were saying, everyone everyone carries a little blame. Um, I did I took it down off the little screen we're looking at here, but um, a guy I want to just briefly touch on while we're talking about going forward, I think has been the overall theme is. Uh, Jay Crowder, do you want to see him back in a Suns uniform next year at $10 million a year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, question mark? <laughs> question mark? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I don't mind Jay. I think for what he does, um, he's been pretty consistent and successful at it. It's just it's tough to see him go through his spurts of his one for nines. Um, in games where we really need him. Yeah. I know we've talked about his consistency. And, you know, hey, props to him. Man. The guy showed up in uh, the semis, right? He was probably the most consistent shooter that we had from he, the outside. I think that's what he I think that's what he did on purpose. He set the bar real low during the Pelican <laughs> series so that when he just was he when he was the only one who even partially showed up during the Mavs, he looked a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> so, when so then you're like, Booker, "Oh no, he wasn't the he wasn't uh, the problem. He, he wasn't, wasn't it wasn't him. No way. That was smart. That was smart cuz I remember um obviously I tried I we told our stories of watching the game. I saw a highlight where Devin Booker was 0 of 7 at one point and had like four points off of free throws or something like that. Um, and so obviously I look at that and I'm like, well, Booker, you obviously carrying a lot of this blame right now. And I just don't understand how we can have guys that are, we have this free flowing offense when times are good and we're kicking it out and Crowder's knocking down threes. Bridges is knocking down threes. Aiton's getting oops and dunks. There was no Valley oop. There was nothing like that. And it just, it felt like a different team 
in that Maverick series than we had seen throughout the last year and a half, especially during the regular season, where it seemed like we were unstoppable at times, where you could just write the Suns off to win by 10-plus virtually any game. Yeah, in the regular season, I remember so many games where I'd get those notifications. I might be at the gym and um, going into the fourth quarter, the Suns are down by like eight or six. And you're like, okay, um, you know, we'll see how this one pans out. And it seemed like every game this year, if I didn't watch the rest of it, I would get that notification that they they scratched out a win. And yeah. would win by two or three, and they and they knew they had a how lot to more close out. Um, there had to have been something more that we didn't see, and obviously that happens. You know, you you're not in the locker room. You don't get to hear all the real um, mumblings. You don't get to know what kind of relationship these guys truly have with each other. Yeah, how close are they really, truly? You, you just get to see the dancing and the and the dog pound <laughs> stuff. Yep. yep. And you think that all's all's good in the hood, right? Like all's gravy train. Yep. That was for you, Cody. <laughs> Miss you, brother. Gravy. But you know, it, this also goes back to kind of the little tiff that they had at the end of the game with the uh, DeAndre and Monty and was that kind of a culmination when you're getting your ass beat that bad at the end of the game where you might say something that you truly don't mean or has this been something that's been going on and and it finally kind of hit a boiling point when everybody's kind of at their lowest you know what they were saying that there's already been some kind of turmoil within the um, the locker room on DA's front, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, there's his agent saying that um, he wanted max money, and according to his agent, the Suns didn't want to give him max money. Uh, and I think that's a great... But what I think... I was just thinking about that, like, on one hand, props to Aiton, because if you look at other players around the league, they're very vocal about their displeasures and, like, starting to... Ben, you look at Ben Simmons. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the way Anthony Davis forced his way out of New Orleans. Um, there's a lot of, of ways you can do this in a real unprofessional way. But instead, I even just checked, I think, yesterday or the day before, even amongst everything going on now, DA isn't on social media removing his... He's not pulling a Kyler. He's not taking Suns logos off of anything. Pulling a Debo Samuel. No, yeah. yeah. He's not he's not being he's not as much as he's a kind of a young guy and like caught up in that kind of lifestyle. He's not doing that. So like I give him a lot of props and a lot of credit. Um, He's not going on podcasts talking shit. He's not going through his agent demanding. Oh, I'm they either sign me to a max or I'm not signing anything or I'm not playing or I'm holding out. You know, he's not doing any of that type of stuff. So on one hand, props to him. And like you said, these reports that are coming out now where there might have been turmoil throughout the season. It just it goes to show like maybe even at 23 he does have some of the maturity, but I do want to touch on some of these like we looked at this that I wrote jotted down in show prep uh, in the ESPN article uh, that came out during the playoffs while we were playing the Mavericks. God, I need to get a drink. I'm dying over here. But um, I'm going to toss this over to you while I do that. But Aiton sometimes sleeps for just two hours a night because of his video game 
um, passion, addiction. I don't know what you want to call it. Like, I love video games probably more than you and Cody. I play a ton of video games. I know Cody probably plays second most out of any of us. And then uh, you haven't played touched a video game in two and a half years. But no, it's not that long. <laughs> Come on. No, but no, but uh, my, we're all, we all game at some capacity. We enjoy video games. We're we're millennial, you know, Zoomer, whatever. Um, but DA, if your only if your job is to do something. Like I was just saying, like like I was saying in show prep, like even no matter what your job is, you need to have some amount of rest and be able to be sharp for that job. So it's irresponsible, in my opinion, to sleep for just two hours and then show up to do your job. What do you think? I mean, yeah, I I'll touch on a lot of that here. Um, it sounds like he has a pretty good team around him, at least um, in regards to contract negotiations and how you might feel about it, but understanding that any kind of frustrations that come with it should really only be expressed to the organization privately and the people who are going to be signing the checks at the end of the day, Correct. Yeah. because they are the ones who get to make that call. Um, if you go on Colin Cowherd or freaking skip Bayless, <laughs> like uh, uh freaking stupid ass Patrick Beverly and be talking nonsense and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that's more public opinion that people have to form. And I feel like front offices don't want to deal with that. Um, they'll understand his grievances and where he feels as a player um, for wanting that max. But if he were to go on a revenge tour, basically, and say, hey, they don't trust me, so fuck them. Um, this is why they suck. Uh, you're you're probably not going to have an opportunity to sign uh, the best kind of max contract that oh, you yeah. could with the team that you have. You start to lose so, your leverage in a lot of ways, especially um, not to cut you off there. No, I want you good. to keep going. But like when Anthony Davis was blatantly sitting out and having hostile negotiations with New Orleans, it put them in a tough situation where they lost all their leverage and being able to move them. So ultimately... If you think about it, that's almost a detriment to Anthony Davis himself because mm -hmm. the less options the Pelicans have to move him, the less they're going to be able to do. Whereas if they're doing this quietly with other teams where it's like, hey, you know, do you want Anthony Davis? And that's not getting leaked out. Like they might be able to get more in return if they think it's like a, a low key transaction. But I mean, I might be. I might be in over my head. I don't know. I'm not an NBA insider by any means, but I just think it. I do think it's smart the way Aiton, like you said, is going through his agents. And I'm. I have no problem with the subtle comments like, "Yeah, Aiton wants max money." It seems like the Suns don't think he's worth max money. I have no problem with that statement whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, he's he seems like a smart young kid too. I mean, it's sure. tough. It's tough. Like. Um, I remember listening to an interview that Tracy McGrady did the other day and he was like, man, you know, not only is it tough being so young and to be given so much money, but for him, he, he, you know, he went to a completely different country when he was drafted by Toronto. Like you really got to be buckled down and have the right people in your corner to make the right decisions. So it seems like he's doing that. Um, and in the right point. Yeah, yeah, no, real quick, keep the, keep your train of thought there, but just real quick interjection, because you mentioned T-Mac, one of my favorite players growing up as a child. How do you feel about him being snubbed from the top 75 NBA player list? Uh, don't give a shit. He's a Hall of Famer. That's all that matters. He's amazing. I love T-Mac. Shout out. Huge inspiration in my career playing basketball, which is limited to recreational leagues and <laughs> middle school basketball, but... Hey, it's something. It's something. It's on my resume. Um, if you if you want, I'll send it to you. But no, Mike, go ahead. What, what are you saying? In this uh, no, I'll say to this. Um, uh, 
Th- that's a lot of politics. Uh, the only thing that really matters is the basketball hall of fame, which he is a hall of famer. So yeah. uh, I'll remember him for that. It's the same time when any of these guys get picked for, you know, first team or whoever's in the MVP race that that's all kind of politics. Oh yeah. hundred uh, Like, you know, I don't know how Joel Embiid is MVP not a first even. team uh, All NBA player, and he's the second in the MVP po- in MVP voting. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> make um, it make sense. Make it make sense. But and then we'll go back to Da and his um, gaming addiction. Um, I can't really sway to a negative side on that because I definitely remember when I was. 20 21 22 years old that's true in context i was just a freaking achievement hunter on xbox uh there was a couple games i remember i think it was like need for speed underground or something where it was literally all you had to do was play the game and every boss that you beat you'd get like a hundred gamer score yeah because i was like i will i'm gonna i'm gonna 100 percent this game and then you get a little special thing so i understand where that's coming from um in regards to only getting two hours of sleep because of it, um, that's going to come with time. And that also comes with passion, right? What oh, are yeah. your true passions? Well, Where are your priorities? My true passion is to be the best basketball player that I want to be. And I understand that getting two hours of sleep isn't going to give me um, all the energy that I really need to put into my craft and become the best player that I can be. Yeah. But that'll grow with time. Um, man. I want I, I want him to be the kind of player that I know he can be. Um, but he's still so young, and you can't you can't give him so many cop outs, you know, because we've seen guys like LeBron James who had the highest expectations in the world of any sixteen, seventeen year old kid, possibly of any sport. And if you ask me, all he's done in his career is surpass all of those expectations. Yeah. But that was also, he wanted to be a legend. And now that question is, does DeAndre want to? Um, and it really all comes down to him at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, it, it does all come down to DA and it's all in the, the future is in his hands. I think it, important questions I want to discuss is with Aiton, it seems like he wants to be the main option. The way he's talking through his agent, I almost said lawyer, the way he was talking through his agent, he wants to max money. He wants to be the main option. So in like we were saying, if you're if you're making demanding max money and you want to be the main option, that means you want to score the points and get the boards and play the defense and get $35 million a year until you can get that $50 million a year contract. But with that... Um, it, I just remembered I'd made a note here. If you remember right, when uh, the pitch when we got DeAndre Ayton with the first overall pick in the NBA draft is that with Booker, DeAndre Ayton, this will be like Shaq and Kobe 2.0. What what happened to Shaq and Kobe 2.0? Is that is that still possible if we sign Ayton and Booker? So we're paying them $90 million combined for two players out of our $130 million cap space? <laughs> It would still be possible, but it would almost take a almost like a personality change from DeAndre Ayton at this point. 
right? It seems like it. We see a lot of Kobe and Devin Booker, even though he tells us to stop, stop saying it. Well, sorry, Devin. I'm going to say it again. And we're going to keep saying it. If yep. you keep doing the things like, like Kobe, his, um, relentless passion to the game, wearing the Kobe's <laughs> that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that he's, um, kind of that first athlete the way that jordan brand signs guys now yeah like they've signed zion russell westbrook i hope he's that first guy for the kobe umbrella and comes out with kind of like a kobe uh player exclusive are they doing that are they starting like a kobe exclusive well now that um uh vanessa bryant has re-signed with nike okay so they worked it out the the Kobe brand is back with Nike again officially. Good. So they'll start, you know, doing their retros and maybe doing more shoes the way that the Jordan brand line goes. Now they're at 36. But I hope Devin Booker is that first guy who gets that Kobe signed under the umbrella and, mm-hmm. and gets to have his shoe. Because I don't know if there's any player who, who really deserves it more than him. I mean. Immediately, no. Yeah. Immediately, no. Devin Booker wants to be the greatest. He wants to strive for greatness. Um, he is about improvement and being the best player that he can be and putting his head down and being quiet when he needs to be and working. And and if you want to do Kobe uh, and Shaq 2.0, DA needs to bring the dog out. DA needs to start right. barking a little bit more. DA needs to start imposing his will and he needs to start beating motherfuckers up. That's what it comes down to within his game now. 100%. Right? You have your finesse, your true craftsmanship, your technicality side with a Devin Booker, mm-hmm. a Kobe Bryant, and you have your dog, your ruthlessness, your unrelenting wantingness to dominate on the Shaq and right. the DeAndre Ayton side. So if it's going to be 2.0, that's what I need. And that's what we all need. Yeah. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, and obviously in stature, comparing Shaq to Aiton, Shaq was a big body. And Aiton, he's tall, um, but he needs to, like we, we've said, if he gets the handling, he could almost be like like Giannis, where he's more of a stretch. Because he, he knocked down a couple threes even in the playoffs, Aiton. But I think you're right. To get to a point where you're Shaq and Kobe 2.0, Aiton has to be more imposing. And it seems like he's leaning more towards wanting to play a finesse game where I just don't know how you incorporate and satisfy all these needs and all these play styles of um, an inside big and then also an ISO guard like Aiton, or I'm sorry, like Booker. Because it seems like Booker kind of works best off like a screen or just a straight drive, kind of creating space for himself, whereas he doesn't need necessarily too much setup. Am I am I making sense, or am I a little off base with that assessment? No, you're good. That I, totally makes sense. I just think if you get, uh, like I was saying earlier, you can get an, any center, um, serviceable center to grab your rebounds, and then you get shooters and scorers on the outside that can either start outside and work in. Kevin Durant can play mid-range, inside, outside. He's a three-level scorer. Um, Devin Booker, three-level scorer. Chris Paul, for all intents and purposes, three-level scorer. 
And and if you're looking in the hierarchy of that, if you want, sure, you want Booker, the young gun, the the prodigy, whatever you want to call him, he's gonna he should be at option one in Phoenix. Um, you know, Kevin Durant, if we can get him, option two, and then Chris Paul, option three. But in the current setup, the way we have it, it's uh, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and then DeAndre. And so Chris Paul is getting burnt out, and he can't sustain that. And we're not getting enough help on the back end. At least in in this playoff run, we didn't get enough help in the back end from our bench, and that's what's so frustrating for me is like I I hung my hat on the fact that we were deep, um, both on the, in our starting lineup and in our bench, and then that all just went out the out the window, and it and I it just leaves you wondering like, was that just what was there other stuff go like you said was there other stuff going on behind the scenes in the locker room in these guys personal lives i i me and you talked we chris paul made that weird comment after game 6 essentially surmising or saying that uh you know there's more important things in life than basketball and like we said while that is true that's a true statement on its face that's not what you want to hear from your player at, when you're going into a game seven after getting your shit smacked or whatever you want to call it, you, they got they didn't play good in game six either. I don't think that was it wasn't a blowout like game seven, but it wasn't no, pretty. It, it was a blowout, but it, it wasn't as bad. Yeah, so it just seems like things are spiraling out of control, and the off season is going to be crucial because there's a lot of pieces that aren't going anywhere. Booker's not going anywhere for the for the foreseeable future. And I don't see him trading Chris Paul. He's here for the foreseeable future. Mikel Bridges is here for this foreseeable future. Um, Monty Williams, I'm pretty sure he's secured for a little while. James Jones. So they really got to get their shit together. And those guys, whatever whatever bad juju was in the locker room, they're going to have to sort it out because we cannot have another collapse like that. Because whether we next season, we better be in the playoffs. That's the minimum expectation that we're in the playoffs. I don't expect us to be the number one seed, run the slate again, but we better be, what What do you say, top top five? Uh, I'd say top three. Top three. Honestly, with the talent we have and those pieces I named there that we're keeping and the fact that we basically have the option to keep Aiden, even if another team offers it, whatever another team offers him, you match it and you make them for, you force a sign and trade essentially. You're getting something in return for Aiden. You have to match. You have to match. Mm-hmm. You have to get whatever you can back for Aiden. If he's truly not going to be here in a Suns uniform... I, I, you got to get something back. So I guess here we go. That's a great transition. So I can throw it back to you. Um, what do you, what do you think the likelihood is that Aiton will be a son next year? I'd probably say, um, I'd probably say eighty-five to ninety percent that Da will be back in a son's uniform next year. More likely than not, then. just because you're not gonna have. Your one year, what is it? Contingency. What is, what is that? The qualifying offer. Qualifying offer. Yeah. There's no way in hell he's gonna sign that. It's like half of what he's commanding in the free agent market. Mm-hmm. If you let him walk off of restricted free agency with what you could sign him to for that five year, like 176 million dollar max, anybody else can uh, offer him is four year 131. If you don't sign him to that. Four year one thirty one that anybody else offers in restricted. Yeah. Um, then James John James Jones should be fired immediately. <laughs> um especially since you don't have any assets or uh capital as far as draft picks this year. Um 
you can't go away empty-handed if he walks. It's just not an option uh, from a front office standpoint. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to make a big splash in regards to other free agents, I don't think you're going to have enough cap to really sign any huge names this offseason. It would have to come in a trade. Like if we talk about Kevin Durant, yeah, you're gonna and if you're gonna trade Da, you're gonna have to get some other pieces involved, like another team. It'd probably have to be a three-team trade, because I don't think you could do anything straight up in regards to even if you were to do Da Cam Johnson and say a future first-round pick or a first and a second just for Kevin Durant. I don't think the money would match up. Uh, you'd have to get another team involved. Yeah. So we could get you a probably have to get another team involved. Yeah, and looking at looking at my notes, I think we it looks at, looking at that Durant potential Durant deal that's speculated. We'd also have to give up Jay Crowder, um, which I think we're both fine with if it means getting Kevin Durant. Um, but looking at because I, I I like these hypotheticals because that I think that's another great question because we've only really touched on Kevin Durant. But what's another player that you would give up Aiton for? Um, just real quick. Um, because there's one player I can think of, and I don't know. I'm not necessarily. This is just the devil's advocate in me. But they're saying uh, Aiton and Cam Johnson, and maybe a first round pick for LeBron James. Oh man, yeah. I don't know. Another if, old guy, right? I, He's I old. Don't, I don't think he's I Chris want Paul's that. age. I don't think I want that. I, How old is Durant? Uh, Durant. That's a great question. Let's look that up. But what's another guy that you might wanna wanna see that would potentially be a trade? target in that price range uh, so you know what we've talked about is guys who are oh. on the wing a little bit more can get you 25 points a game uh, but as far as structure for our team and our system i feel like it, it would have to be at least a three or a four yeah a small forward or a power forward um, one of the guys that I thought in the past I was kind of mulling over was a Bradley Beal. Beal, um, yeah. Guy can go out and get buckets for you. He can score from the wing. He's crafty with the ball. Yeah. Uh, can really create his own shot. But that's another Devin Booker. I don't want to play a Devin Booker and Bradley Beal, um, you know, same time on the floor. Yeah. Guys who can kind of do similar things. I mean, it's the same reason why the Suns didn't draft Luka Doncic because they were worried about guys who were in similar positions. Obviously, Luka is really more of a natural point guard. Right. Um, he can play like one through three, but pretty it's much. Another one through four, it's another guard who has to handle the ball. Mm, um, true. So that's why they went with Aiton. But, I mean, well, Durant's, so Durant's 33... I don't think I want LeBron James. He's 37, right? Because he's up there. Yeah. Banana Boat Boys. They're Him, all Carmelo. kind of around, yeah. around the same age. And, you know, LeBron is starting to break down a little bit more as well. You know? Definitely. Oh, Past yeah. couple of years, he's missed more games uh, in probably the last three years than he ever did in the first 15 years of his career. Brutal. So, you know... I know that he's still a difference maker, but I, I'd rather take Kevin Durant just with his um, prowess on the offensive end a little bit more yeah. than a LeBron James. Yeah, yeah, and so that's a great that's a great question um, or a great point, I guess. 
in that you made that uh, we didn't go with Doncic over Aiton because he's more of a guard and we already felt that we were very guard heavy. Uh, we were at the time, I will admit. But another name I've heard floated out there uh, is Damian Lillard. And that would push, I feel like that would push us to a more small ball lineup, clearly. Because if you're looking at all of those guys starting, you're talking Chris Paul at the one, I would say Damian Lillard at the two, Devin Booker at the three, Bridges at the four, probably at that point, and then McGee or whoever at the five. And and so that's an interesting conversation because that almost... <laughs> that almost reminds me of the days when we had Brandon Knight, Goran Dragic, and Eric Bledsoe. Like, obviously, those three are role-player point guards. Even at that time, I wouldn't say any of those guys were true superstars. Yeah, and we had Isaiah Thomas, too. Right and before, Isaiah Thomas. Right before his big run with yeah. the Celtics where oh he was goodness. an all-star. I forgot about that. You were right, yeah. So we had a loaded backcourt. We had all the talent in the world at backcourt. But couldn't make it happen. So does does that kind of prior knowledge make a loaded backcourt and getting a Damian Lillard for Kevin Dur- or I'm sorry, a Damian Lillard for DeAndre Ayton less appealing? I'm just yeah, I'm a little bit more worried with the size factor in regards to handling the ball with those guys, and I think it would also depend on where Chris Paul falls within that because. Yeah. Are you going to have Chris Paul come off the bench? Or are you going to go... Would he even accept that? Chris Paul, Damian at the two, and push Book to the three. It, it's an, it would be an odd lineup. Pushing Book to the three gets tough, yeah. I'd also just worry about size factors. If you get rid of DeAndre Ayton, whereas you want to bring in another guy who's like a 6'8". Between between six six and six nine six ten, yeah. If you're going three or four, because you have to start matching your size where you where you would lose some if you got rid of DeAndre. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that always kind of scares me with Damian Lillard is we saw what you could get from having two two scores at those two positions. And it's specifically for him with C.J. McCollum. Um, I don't think C.J. McCollum is um, the same type of player that Devin Booker is. But C.J. McCollum is a very, very comparable guy. Would you put him in the star, in the star category? All-star, all probably. I'll, I'll put him in the all-star category. Not superstar, but all-star. Right, right. Um, and they just never could get over the hump. Now, I, I know that's a lot of what-ifs the pieces around in a tough you. western conference yeah like right. you said pieces around you yeah but this is what we're trying to get we're trying to get another guy who can get you those uh get you that 25 a game and that was what damian lillard and cj mccullum did in portland yeah and they could never get over the hump Very so true. i would be wary with bringing him in yeah. it would really depend on what pieces you'd lose very true. If you were to keep somehow be able to keep DA and bring in Damian Lillard, oh, that would be sign me up. I mean, that's unreal. Yeah, no, without a doubt, you would do that. That's probably like the worst type of hypothetical because that's like an absolute no chance of a situation happening. It's like Damian Lillard wants to sign the veterans minimum to play in Phoenix, <laughs> right? like. so it's so it's not even worth talking about. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah. I'd love, I'd love it. I just would wonder how it would work, and I would wonder where Chris Paul would fall into that. Because the other factors with it is Chris Paul's contract for the next, 
couple of years, he's locked in with Phoenix. Um, I know he took uh, more of a team-friendly approach, and there's a lot more kind of incentives built into it, and I don't think everything is guaranteed. But it's still a rather large contract, and getting that off the books is going to be very tough if you're not going to have him be part of this part of the team well, that that others aren't really going to be willing to take on. Yeah, no, exactly. No, who's willing to take on the contract where we we've signed him to? Um of course I backed out of it again, but uh, that's a th- something else I've thought contemplated as we go through this harkening uh, back, as we go through this grieving process, as we process what happened as the season ended and looking forward projecting um, in the off season, the tough off season, and all the questions ahead, all the all the questions we've asked for probably the past 45, 60 minutes is DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton, DeAndre Ayton. But do you look to trade? I'll say first, do you look to trade? Just the tough question, Chris Paul, and what could you get in return for a player of his age with that amount of money? Um, obviously, when we signed him, it was with the expectation that he would bring more than just the on-the-court stuff. It would be the locker room presence, the leadership, um, being the player coach type of thing. But that, obviously, speaking of getting over the hump, he got us to the finals, but it didn't get us over the hump to a championship. Um, And this season clearly came short in a lot of ways. We we thought we were relieved to get past the Pelican series and that we could get back into form. I don't know why, but we thought we could get back into form because we all were looking through those rose-tinted glasses, seeing the Suns as who we believed they were, the team that fought hard last season and came up just a little bit short, and then we're going on this quote-unquote revenge tour through the season. So, yeah, straight up, do you look do you look at any possibility to, if not moving Aiton, to move Chris Paul or both, or is that just desperation? And do you try and just keep the band together and run it back? A lot if, to digest there. But. Yeah. If there's an opportunity to trade Chris Paul at this point, you absolutely have to look into it. Um, I agree. The, the, I think you do. I think yeah, you entertain you it. To. You entertain that offer. But I, I, you know, I worry about guys in his similar position. Again, talking about John Wall, talking about Russell Westbrook, talking about um, Derrick Rose. I don't think his contract's very unfavorable at this point because it's been known that he's banged up. But like these point guards become damaged goods, um, whatever the case, why, whatever reason that may be, um, it gets harder and harder to move them. So you just look at maybe trading if if there is any market for moving Chris Paul, it's to get another guy like that, like another damaged good, and just hope that that damaged good isn't as damaged as the good you're getting rid of. And it's like, I, but but I don't know. How, did Chris Paul miss that much during the regular season? I felt like he stayed pretty healthy throughout the regular season, other than maybe some rest nights here and there. No, remember he had that. Um the finger. The f- oh, the finger. You're right. He missed some time with that. Was that the Knicks game? I no. Wasn't. I can't remember. Uh, he missed at least fifteen to twenty games because of that. Uh, that finger injury that he had. It was right before the All Star break. Oh, it was against Houston. Remember, we went to that game. Oh, we were at that game. And the he Houston went game? for and he went to make a pass. And it got stabbed on, um, oh my goodness, trying to remember Rockets players' names. Good luck. Eric Gordon? No. It was, Kevin Porter Jr.? I, I, no. <laughs> Jalen Green? No. Yeah. I know who it is. I can see his face. I can't remember his name. But uh, 
at, at this point, I'm pretty sure it was kind of understood that this was going to be a last hurrah for Chris Paul. Yeah. Um, this come this contract. Uh, this contract. This situation in Phoenix was going to be his last um, opportunity to really try and see if he can make a championship push. Uh, and if it didn't work out, he'd ride into the sunset and um, do his State Farm commercials and you know be some kind of sideline reporter for the NBA in the future, whatever the hell, or work for the MBPA and whatnot. Um, so I don't think there's going to be any possibility of trading his contract to anybody and no. getting really the assets that you would need to make your team um, truly better. Yeah. Um, so it's just a tough situation. And I, I'm not going to downgrade or discredit anything that he's done for this franchise. Um, I'm not going to say that he's done more for this franchise than Steve Nash has done yet either, even though he did take him to the finals. I understand that. But the man has only played for the Suns for two years. Right. Um, I just hope that... Uh, and it comes back to the situation of what he has to be within his role for the team now. Right? He can't be the main guy. That was some of the things that we were seeing down the stretch as well. I mean, yeah. he got us out of that Pelican series because Booker was hurt. And he got us wins down the stretch. He did. In key games. But he couldn't sustain it. And Devin Booker, if you're in this situation, he has to be number one. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed like when it came down to situations where he needed to be, they didn't know how to pass the baton properly, I guess. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why you got to bring in another guy and he's got to go to the third option if he's going to be a part of this team and be successful. Um. I, I don't see you getting any assets from him, unfortunately, just no. with um, the track record that's happened with him the past couple of years. It's also a tough situation. This will be my last point about it. Um, I know that you spoke about the kind of locker room guy that he was, but I've also heard, you know, different scenarios where people, you know, he'll come into a scenario, clean it up. I think he set franchise records for wins at all of four of his stops that he went to. I believe um, it. The the Hornets, what they were new Hornets, Hornets the first Hornets, yeah. Um, Clippers, Rockets. Rockets, and now the Suns. Yeah. But down towards the end of his ten years there, uh, people have kind of gotten, um, they they've started to kind of lament him and and not been a fan of him and his preachings, and he's worn out his welcome. I mean, yeah, a, a, comes out the gate strong and then sizzles out. Right. One of the, I think one of the things that made me the saddest in regards to what happened at the end of this season as well was you know in the playoffs they would talked about the curfew that was implemented but oh, it wasn't yeah. a team curfew it was a player implemented curfew that was led by Chris, Chris Paul. Paul yeah and in the locker room after game 7 Jason Kidd made a jab at the, no. the thought, the thought of um, a curfew, where they're all kind of celebrating, whatever, and then Jason Kidd says, "Hey, hey, you're in bed at ten o'clock tonight," and then everybody's like, no. "Ah, oh my god, ha ha, no. what a what a dumbass, what a lame," and that kind of stuff, where it's like, 
maybe that's what ha- that's what's happened on his stints. I mean, obviously yeah. that's not his team, but you know, some guys might kind of be numb to his prey or his his prodding and how focused in that he is. Well, and, 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 and it led to a downfall as well. I mean, and clearly DeAndre Ayton's in by ten, but he's up till four <laughs> in the morning playing Call of Duty. Oh, Chris, what I mean, can we say? Come on. I like playing Call of Duty too, I guess, but um, I'm not playing it till two a.m. anymore. Not when you got a job to do the next morning. <laughs> and and another part of that was that he because he's only getting because he wakes up at six a.m. in the morning no matter what. So if he's up till 3, 4 in the morning playing video games, he's only getting two, three hours of sleep. What responsible person does that? Like I, like you said, I love video games probably more than the person next to you right now, whoever's listening to this. But you got to have some responsibility, especially when there's so much money on the line. Yeah. I mean, man's, man's is so young, dude. His body is still growing, too. You need your eight hours, man. Oh, yeah. Come on. Uh, hey, I... I just want to say, man, it's good to be back in here with you. I uh, had a lot of fun digesting the atrocities that we witnessed oh. uh, to end this season. Most definitely. Um, it, it was a fun run. Uh, it was a shit show to end. Uh, always love making history. Um, but w- hopefully one of these days it won't be on the <laughs> worst end. Uh, <laughs> and, you know... We'll get there one of these days, but I appreciate all y'all joining in with us once again, and uh, I'll pass it over to Mr. Christopher Patrick. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, I just, I in in closing, you know, just want to remind you, this is the Heat Check Podcast. We're going to do this once a month at the very minimum. Um, today was just uh, the very first episode, me, me, Chris Patrick, and Mike Benjamin by ourselves. Um, normally Cody Tallman would be here, but he was out sick today. Rest up. Uh, rest up, Cody. Ho- wish him well. Hope he gets better. And he'll be here next time, but probably sooner rather than later. But regardless, we're, we're, we were talking. Me and Mike were talking. We're going to get some other stuff brewing up. We're going to get some more content flowing. Um, we we think this Valley Sports Plug thing has potential. And right now, like it's just a, a, pa- a passion project and a, a labor of love because this this is what we love to do we love to talk about sports we're doing it anyway uh so we want to share it with you share our take and um hopefully in the comments you'll share it with us you know uh I, pu- I put up a video on youtube we're mainly on spotify apple music wherever you can find podcasts you can probably find our podcast so check it out um valley sports plug and the heat check podcast but uh, ultimately, I just want to, in closing, say I am ultimately trying to stay optimistic for the Suns and their future. I hate how the season ended. I Obviously, I was on the hype train. I thought we were bound for the playoffs. I, I wrote us into the playoffs. You can even tell, listening back on the other podcast, we were already projecting forward. We thought we would be playing the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, and it just it came up short. So with that being said, I think all Suns fans are going to have to remember that today is a new day for Phoenix Suns fans. The work on next season is already underway. As employees, fans, partners, and PayPal six-man members of the Phoenix Suns, you should be proud of what you have helped this team and our organization accomplish. For three straight seasons, we have been raising the bar on expectations and accomplishments 
that wouldn't have been possible without the incredible support from the best fans in the NBA, some of whom have been with us since the start in 1968. With greater success and expectation comes deeper disappointment. That's natural. Just know we all share in it, and our organization won't be satisfied until we bring an NBA championship to the Valley. We're in this together. We win together. We lose together. We fight together. And the only way we get better is together. Thank you for supporting us all season as we look ahead to the start of a new chapter. James Jones, Jason Rowley. What a crock of shit. Fuck that! (laughs)